1 Corinthians chapter 12. We'll be looking at verses 12 and 13 and verse 27. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 12. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we are all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. Verse 27. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. May the Lord bless the reading and now the preaching of his word. Amen. Thank you, Eric. Um, welcome back to those who have been traveling from the holidays. We are glad to have you back here in Owensboro uh, for this morning as we launch a new year together as a church. We are very grateful for God's grace and the where, where he has brought us over the last year and into this next year and excited about where the Lord will take us. So before we get into this morning's message, let me go ahead and pray and ask for God's help and then we'll get started. Father, thank you for your kindness to us. Thank you for this morning, morning grace, fresh morning mercies uh, that are new each day that we do not deserve. Uh, it could be health, it could be just an ability to think, our minds working, uh, family, a loving church, freedom of religion. We could go on and on and on of all the mercies. And the greatest of those, meaning no wrath hanging over our heads for those who are Christians and trusting in you. And what a massive encouragement that is to us this morning that we have peace with God. If we die at this moment, we're safe, we're fine, there's no problem, we're ready to meet you. So with things like that, God, we love you, we are grateful. Now may we sit hung hungrily before your word, eager to know it, to understand it, to be fed by it, to be changed and transformed, and I pray for your help and the enablement to preach and for your strength and your spirit to be upon me as I seek to lovingly shepherd your people through your word. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. The church should be less like a cruise ship and more like a battleship. Those are the words of Ken Sandy, and uh, he's right. They come from a recent interview with Ken Sandy, who is the president of Peacemakers Ministries, uh, and it was a recent interview in Christianity Today. And to underscore this point, Jonathan Lehman says this in his book, Baptist Foundations. He says, serious and non-serious Christians alike often fail to place their discipleship in the context of submission to the local church and its leaders. We might enjoy casual fellowship, but we don't deliberately build relationships for the purposes of discipling, equipping, transparency, and accountability. We don't invite instruction and discipline. We don't make ourselves known to the elders so that they can watch over us. We don't consult their wisdom when making major life decisions. Indeed, the programmatic structures of the church often work against, against such knownness. We move to cities based on job or school opportunities without asking whether a healthy church exists. We purchase homes or rent apartments without considering their geography or proximity to a healthy church. We make budgetary decisions with little thought for generosity to the church members in need or helping the church as a whole make its budget. We don't inconvenience ourselves. We join churches lightly and we exit them lightly. We church hop, seldom stopping to weigh the consequences of our departure on others. We just take are purchased back to the checkout counter. How sad. Lehman is, is right, and he's describing what has sadly become the norm for so many Christians in American churches. Consequently, church membership has fallen on hard times. The common sentiment of our day is that if a family, a couple, or an individual decides to spend several years hopping around from church to church, that's fine. Or if they decide to just attend church for an indefinite period of time without actually joining it, that's perfectly fine as well. Well, what do you think? Is it okay? Does the Bible have anything to say about the subject of church membership? And that's the question that we're going to be considering this morning 
in our message. In fact, I'm preaching this message as a second part in our series, Back to Basics, and uh, where we're examining really the rudiments of the Christian life. And we're talking about our six identities um, as a church. And this is the second that falls under the heading of commitment, our commitment to the local church. And we're discussing what is it that God has called us to be and to do as a church. And when we look at Scripture and we try to assess sort of what is the basic job description of an individual Christian or what is the basic job description of a church, um, we want to understand what it is that God has called us to be and do. What should your relationship look like to the local church? This morning we are dealing with a topical message. And typically, if you're just visiting with us, we love to preach expositionally. What we mean by that is we love to take God's Word where the point of the sermon is really the point in that particular text. We love to walk through Scripture. But today, you have found us on a day where we're going through a topical series as a means of helping to instruct our people. We have a lot of new Christians. We have a lot of new people. So from time to time, it's very helpful to kind of pull back and go into some topics that are very helpful and instructive for the discipling and the building up of God's people. So we're going to be all over Scripture today, so I just encourage you to be ready to turn, and we'll have some Scriptures up on the wall for you. When I was in college there was a phrase that uh, was thrown around quite a bit uh, when talking about relationships. So, you know, you say, well, are you in a relationship with this person, this girl, or this guy, and, and what have you? And so people would say, well, are you in a relationship? And the answer sometimes was, well, we're more than friends, but we're not quite exclusive. And that was kind of a phrase that was thrown around. In other words, as long as there's no formal commitment, either person was free to kind of walk away at any time. And, you know, it may hurt and maybe some pain there, but hey, there was no formal commitment, so I'm free to exit any time that I want. Guys and girls were left with a lot of relational ambiguity. It really hurt people. And if you had a good friend, what they would do at some point is they would encourage you, they would sit down with you, and they would say, hey, have you defined the relationship? Have you had the DTR, as it was called? Have you defined the relationship? Which meant at that time replacing ambiguity with clarity. Just get rid of this ambiguity. She doesn't know what you're doing, man. So why don't you just tell her, are you in a relationship or are you not? A few years later, there was a cultural shift uh, on this. And the phrase, friends with benefits, was popularized. And it took on a distinctly more sexual tone. The whole point was the freedom to play without the burden of commitment. It was sad to see our culture move in that direction. Well, it's easy for us to sort of roll our eyes when we consider the immaturity of such vague pseudo-dating relationships with non-defined commitment from either side. And yet this is precisely how many Christians relate to the local church. But this should not be. And so this morning, we need to have a DTR. We need to define your relationship with the local church. Are you in a formal, committed relationship? Or is this sort of a friends with benefits deal? Or perhaps you would say, well, we're more than friends, but if I'm honest, I would say that we're not yet exclusive. What's, what's going on with you in the church? Is this a fling or is, is this something more permanent? Is this a superficial romance or infatuation or is this sacrificial love? See, today we're going to talk about church membership, and I confess that to some of you this may seem like a really obscure topic. I mean, why would you spend a whole sermon talking about church membership? But I believe that it's one of the keys to the revitalization of the church in America. The church is a, is a wreck. If you go around and you visit a thousand churches and you come away as a critical thinker and a faithful Christian, you will walk away from a visit to a thousand churches very disappointed, very discouraged. I mean, a random sampling. The, 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 the poor churchmanship, the lack of hunger for God, the, the sloppiness of church, the, the sin, the unregenerate nature of the folks who are there, the, the confusion about the gospel, a lack of biblical fidelity, Error, heresy, wrong teaching. I mean, it's just, it's a sad report. And so, and I believe that one of the keys is actually restoring a healthy view of church membership to the revitalization of the church. So the purpose of this sermon this morning really is to paint a vision for church membership because I believe that if you can lay hold of what the Bible says about this, it will actually alter the shape of your Christianity. 
For some of you, my goal is actually to convince you to join a church for the first time. For others of you, my goal is to encourage you to pursue, pursue a more meaningful relationship with the local church, a more meaningful membership. But here's the thing. My assumption is that all of us, I mean, let's just be humble here. My assumption is that all of us in this room this morning need to make some changes with how we're relating to the local church, pastors included. No one is exempt from this message. When it comes to the local church, a lot of us have really developed some bad habits, wrong thinking. For example, let me list several. We think it's fine to attend church indefinitely without joining. We think it's possible to be baptized without becoming a member. We think it's okay to consistently sort of take the Lord's Supper without joining the church. We turn the Lord's Supper into sort of a me and Jesus time. Me to remember Jesus. We view the Lord's Supper as our sort of kind of private remembrance of Him. We don't care to integrate our daily lives with others in the church. We assume that it's no big deal to miss a couple, two, three Sundays a month. We make major life decisions, marriage, career, moving, without even considering the local church. And we don't think the church really makes that much difference to our growth. Now, certainly, we, all of us would not say all of those things. But what I'm saying is, that's a sampling of some of the, the things that we have bought into in our culture, including some of us in this room. But you see, all of these things are indications that we have a poor view of the local church. And, and the basic disease behind all these symptoms, which flow through my own veins as well, is an underlying dis- assumption, hear this, that I have the right to live my Christian life on my own, apart from the church. Is that true? So the idea is sort of, you know, well, the church is just kind of an added extra. I mean, it's a benefit, and hey, I, I, I like it. You know, I, I choose to go, and I enjoy being a part of it. And so, but really, it's just kind of an added extra. And so I treat it like a club. I can join it or not, you know. But at the end of the day, it's my choice, and this is not an issue of biblical obedience, man. Come on. So thank you, Pastor, for your message, but kindly just leave me alone on the topic of church membership. Is that, is that the right attitude? Or do you think maybe we need to rethink this? Perhaps you assume that it's okay to live your Christian life sort of largely disconnected from the local church. Or maybe you attend church, but here's the thing for you. You're there every Sunday, but you don't really have any intention of joining it. And so you think that, that is also just fine. Well, whatever category you're in this morning... I, I want to challenge your thinking, and I want you to consider what the Bible has to say on this matter. It really doesn't matter what I think. It doesn't really matter. Um, I, I'm, I'm studied. I've gone to school. I've gone to seminary. I have a degree in theology. But, you know, really, at the end of the day, I don't really care what Jonathan thinks. Glad he has an MDiv and all that, but whatever. What I really want to know is, what does God think about this? What's his heart on this subject? And I want to show you from Scripture. And here's, here's how I want to start this morning. I want to begin with this thesis that God intends for his people, whenever possible, to be vitally connected to a healthy local church. And this is what we call church membership. So two things that we want to consider this morning. What is church membership and why does it matter? What is church membership and why does it matter? If we had another week on this subject, and I was thinking about this, I even started crafting a sermon along these lines But if we had another week, I would want to preach from 1 Corinthians 12 expositionally and sort of walk through that passage. And and I would do so under four headings, and I would answer the question, what are the duties of church membership? And I would answer it this way, if we had another week on this. uh, Four things in 1 Corinthians 12, the duties of church membership, pursue unity, appreciate diversity, foster a culture of mutual dependence on one another, and practice care for each other. That's really the essence of what you see in 1 Corinthians 12. But since we only have one sermon, what I want to do instead is cover the subject more broadly so that we can get as much out of this as possible. So here we go. First, what is church membership? If we're going to talk about membership, clearly the place we have to start is the Bible. I mean, is church membership in the Bible? Is it? I mean, if the Bible is our authority, then we have to go to Scripture for an answer. And the first thing we need to say is that there is no explicit verse in the Bible that says, Thou shalt become a church member. Clearly, that's not in Scripture. That would be awesome, but it doesn't exist. And so maybe you're saying, well, does that make me sort of kind of free from the responsibility then? As long as there's not that sort of chapter and verse, then 
I'm free. Well, if for those who are college football fans, college game day, Lee Corso, not so fast, my friends. That's not how we do theology, is it? We don't look for a specific chapter and verse to establish every teaching in the Bible. For example, I mean, this is plainly evident. Uh, nowhere in the Bible do we have a clear statement about God being triune. And yet the Trinity is obviously a biblical doctrine. In fact, it's a test of orthodoxy. So we, here we have one of the most important doctrines relating to the very essence and nature of God. And there's just no chapter and verse that even says God is triune. And yet, of course, we affirm that. The Trinity is a biblical doctrine that we see all over Scripture. So the person that says, well, unless I have a chapter and verse, I will not believe it. That person is revealing a very poor understanding of how to handle Scripture. Mature Christians read the Bible as an organic whole. They're constantly seeking to understand all that the Bible teaches, both explicitly and implicitly. And I would argue and suggest that there is a plethora of biblical data on this subject regarding church membership. That should leave us with no doubt about this. In fact, if you say that church membership is not in the Bible, that would be an indication that you're not reading the Bible carefully or you're not reading it well. Because there are a number of practices in the church that you see in the early church that simply do not make sense apart from an identifiable, formal church membership. And I want to show you five right now. First, the early church, this is the first thing, the early church people were counted and identified as members. Turn with me to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. Uh, let's read together verses 15 through 17. In those days, Peter stood up among the brothers. The company of the persons was in all about 120 and said, Brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in this ministry. Two things there. We see that the church was 120. We also see that one was numbered among them. Acts chapter 2, verse 41. Go a few verses later. So Peter is preaching at Pentecost. And then in, chapter, in verse 41 we read, So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. So now the church has gone from 120 to 3,120 because of a massive revival that we call Pentecost. But it says that these folks were added to the church. So who were the 120? Was this just kind of a random group of people that were unidentifiable, that nobody really knew or could know? It was clearly at least an identifiable number enough to where there was 120, and then 3,000, and then 3,120. It was some sense of a formal group here. So this is at the very beginning. We're kind of really zoomed out at this point, and this is going to get more clear as we zoom in. Second, the early church gathered together as a particular group of people to make decisions. Acts 14, 23. Acts chapter 14, verse 23. We read that the elders were appointed in every church. And then in verse 27, we see that those disciples gather together and then look at chapter 15, verse 22. They make a decision, and we read this. Then it seemed good to the apostles, chapter 15, verse 22, and the elders with the whole church to choose men from among them to send to Antioch. So what do we have here? We, have, uh, we see a specific people. They're gathering in a formal way. And they're making decisions. Now imagine that a random man walks in from the street and he says, Hey guys, uh, I don't want to send Paul and Barnabas to Antioch. What do you think they would say to that guy? I think they would say, Well, who are you? And, and what, what, what validity does your opinion have on this matter? What say do you have in this? The point is that the church is filled with people who actually have the right and the privileges of being able to act as a church because they belong to it in a formal way. So this is just pretty basic stuff. I mean, it's, in fact, it's one of those things that it's like the guy who 
walks home, and his wife has been out getting groceries on a uh, Saturday morning, and he comes in, and I don't know how many men have done this, and she stocks the refrigerator full of food, and it's fantastic. You know, it's in the, she's got like the vegetables in the tray, and she's got the, the meat down there, and, and, and everything's kind of tucked away, and it's, and it's in there, and it looks all nice and neat. The guy comes home, and he opens the fridge, and he just kind of stands there, and he looks, and he's scanning all over the refrigerator, and he's just, he goes, honey, do we, do we have anything to eat? Anybody ever done that? Yeah, because what he's saying there is, well, you know, sort of the lettuce hasn't jumped out and hugged the ham and, and gotten onto a piece of bread and jumped in my mouth. In other words, you haven't made my lunch yet. But the idea is he's just not seeing it. All the vegetables are in there. All the meat's in there. You just need to pull it out, put it together, and eat it. And, and a lot of us approach this subject like that. Well, this is just so obvious we're standing in front of the refrigerator, and we can't even see it. The early church is, is forming the very essence of what we call church membership. It's clear. It's clear from all this stuff that we see here uh, in the text. So we have churches making decisions. We have an identifiable number of people. The third thing, the early church is removed people from its membership. Now here we're talking about church discipline. It's the third thing that we see. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Turn there. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Paul is rebuking the Corinthian church uh, for not removing a man who is in serious sin. So you got this crazy situation where you have a guy who has taken his father's wife. And, and Paul says some hard things. Here's what he says. Verses 11 through 13. But now I'm writing to you that you must not associate with anyone who calls himself a brother but is sexually immoral or greedy or an idolater or a slanderer or a drunkard or a swindler, with such a man do not even eat. What business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside? God will judge those outside. Here's the phrase, remove the wicked man from among you. What markers does Paul have to distinguish those who are inside versus those who are outside? The use of inside and outside language is showing that in the New Testament, there seems to be a clear indication of some sort of formal commitment to a church. I mean, a person cannot be kicked out of something he was never a part of. Church discipline implies church membership. Then in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 6, to make this even stronger and to make this even clearer, 2 Corinthians 2.6, we find out that the church excommunicated that individual who was in sin. But apparently, and praise God for this, after the man had been removed, he presumably repented of his sin because we read in verse 6 that the punishment inflicted on him by the majority is sufficient for him. That's really interesting language. What majority is Paul speaking of? I mean, he must be speaking about a majority of a defined whole, a number of people who are committed to the church. So a decision was made by the majority to remove someone from an identifiable group of people. I mean, this is clear, clear stuff. The fourth thing, Paul uses the metaphor of a body to speak to the church in Corinth about its membership. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 13, For in one spirit... We all were baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but many. Verse 18, but as it is, God arranged the members of the body, each one as he chose. Now, let's be honest. When we read that text, uh, the first thing that a lot of us think about is the universal church. What's the universal church? It's all of God's people throughout all of time in all places. We're talking about people that lived thousands of years ago that were believers. We're talking about people that live in Africa and India and Asia and, and, and Europe and, and all over the place. That's the universal church. But that's not what Paul is talking about here. He's speaking to a local church. Of course, there are principles that pertain to the universal church. But when Paul is speaking about each part working together to build the body up in love... He's not thinking about the universal church. And, and to read it that way almost makes this text completely meaningless. The text only makes sense in light of the context of the local church. So when you start piling on all these bricks of evidence and you begin to see implicitly what's going on with the local church in some sort of or, organic 
yet formal membership. It's pretty clear stuff. But yet, for some reason, people want to continue to keep on insisting that church membership is not in the Bible because they don't have that phrase. By the way, just interesting, the word member in verse 12 comes from the great Greek word that means member, which is a joke. It's just clear. Paul talks about member all over 1 Corinthians 12. We are members of one another. So it's right in front of our noses. And finally, the relationship between elders and those whom they oversee requires membership. Hebrews chapter 13. Look at Hebrews 13, verse 17. The apostle to the Hebrews says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be no advantage to you. What do you see there? It says, Your leaders, you submit to them, they watch over you, they give an account of you. So you have an accountability relationship, pastors with sheep, and that relationship is formal. Because they have to know who they're accountable to. And you have to know who you are to submit to. Right? You're not, you're not submitting to random Christian leaders in America, are you? Is anybody in here submissive to, uh, say, Billy Graham? Anybody in here submissive to Franklin Graham? Anybody in here submissive to Joel Osteen? Anybody in here submit? No. You're not submissive to other people in America. You're not submissive to John Piper. Or John MacArthur. So the, the point is that we are submissive to people. And, and we as pastors are accountable to certain people. This has been helpful to some people to talk about it this way. Uh, and, and maybe it clarifies it by saying, when I stand before God someday as a pastor and give an account, I will not as a pastor be giving an account for a random group of Christians. I, I will be giving an account for a specific fixed people. People that I am called to lead and feed and guide and protect. And I will not be giving an account for random Christians that showed up at my church once in a while. Certainly not in the same way. I am not accountable for, for the sheep at Owensboro Christian Church. I am not accountable as a pastor for the sheep at Bellevue or Yellow Creek Baptist. I'm not a pastor there. I'm a pastor here, and I'm responsible for a specific group of people here that have formally committed themselves to this church. Really practical question on this that comes up is someone will say, well, does that mean that as pastors that you guys will only take time with people that are members? And the answer, of course, is no. But it does mean that we have a deeper level of commitment to those who have joined themselves to this body as opposed to those who have not. I mean, I, I'm just accountable to those people in a way that I'm not accountable to other people. Another question that'll come up is, well, well, okay, so what about this? What if I transfer my membership from this church and, and, you know, we end up at another church, then will you continue to be my pastor? And, you know, that sounds great, but the, the answer to that has to be no. You know, when you go to another church, you'll have a new set of pastors and, and you will be under their care and they will be guiding you and feeding you and protecting you and, and seeking to lead you into maturity in Christ. And so, of course, we'll be your friend and we'll continue to wish you well, but you'll be under a new set of pastors. And so all of this, you see, is meant to provide a healthy context for our living out the Christian life. See, when Christians don't take this stuff seriously, what happens is they just end up sort of like jellyfish all over the place and they're not accountable to anybody and, and there's no pastors guiding them and feeding them and protecting them and, and, and they don't know who they're supposed to be submitting to and they're just all over the place and they're living in sin and nobody's calling them to check for that because they have not rooted themselves somewhere or they put themselves in a church where frankly the pastors don't even know their name they, they, they don't even know who they are they visit the church and the guy says to them hey man, uh, welcome to church and they're like, I've been here for two years They know they're not being fed there in terms of protected. And so the, the point is, is that we, 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 we get sloppy on this stuff and it hurts ourselves. So we've seen what church membership is and we've seen where it is in the Bible implicitly. And now the second question is this. All right, so that's great. 
I see it. I see some evidence for it. I want to do some more work there. I appreciate you, you laying the foundation, Jonathan. But, okay, why does it really matter? Why does it really matter? All right. And, and this is where I kind of want to really drill down with you personally on this. I mean, let's just admit that up front that this whole idea of church membership is really unpopular in our culture. Because we're supposed to be inclusive, are we not? You know, we, the, the last thing we want to do is make people feel like they don't belong in this culture. So we, to advocate for a healthy view of church membership is certainly not in vogue in, in our society. But church membership is far more important than people think. In fact, I'm convinced that getting this right, as I said, is a key to the revitalization of churches in America a study of the Southern Baptist Convention a few years ago said this, that there are 16,287,494 members in Southern Baptist churches. But hear this. But out of that 16 million, only 6,024,289, or 37%, only 37% on average show up, show up for their church's primary worship service. Now, here, here's the question that I'm, I'm left asking after I read something like that. The question is, where are the other 10,263,205 people? I mean, I'm sure some of them are sick. Perhaps a few of them have deceased. Some of them might be in, in nursing homes. A few might be away at college or serving in the military. And I'm sure that accounts for some of them. But 10 million and every Sunday? I don't think so. And what does that convey to the world about our Christianity? What are we saying to the world when that happens? When we have 1,000 people on a membership roll and 300 in attendance, when we have 300 on a membership roll and 70 in attendance, what are we saying to the world about Christianity? What are we saying to the world about what it means to be a Christian? Or, or what about the importance of Christianity in our own lives? What is the spiritual condition of people who say they follow Jesus but seem to feel no particular need to gather with his church? What about members who have a habit of not attending, missing God's word preached, not gathering for the Lord's table? Is their non-attendance really any of our business? I mean, why should we care if a member is consistently not there? Well, it's very simple. The church is made up of a group of people who have been called out of the world, saved, and brought together to worship Jesus. The church is made of a group of people who have repented and put their trust in Christ. The church is made up of a group of people who the Holy Spirit has regenerated and made a new creation in Christ Jesus. So if a person does not gather to worship God with his people or shows very little desire to engage with a church, we should be concerned about such a person. You say you love Jesus, but you seem to have no desire whatsoever to be with God in his church, to worship God with his people. That should be concerning to us. Here's the issue. We have millions of people on membership roles, and we can't find them. But the real problem is not that we can't find them. The problem is they don't seem to be able to find us. Where are they? What are they doing Something is wrong. So let me bring this home to us. How, let me ask you a personal question. How do you intend to live your Christian life? Do you think that you have all the resources that you need to kind of go at it on your own? Do you not realize that in the New Testament, God has set it up for you to be a part of a local church that is committed to you, to love you, to encourage you, to pray for you, and yes, even to correct you when you fall into sin? And to think that you can do this on your own is both misguided and dangerous. You see, what I want us to come away with this morning is a heightened appreciation for the local church. I want us to have a culture around here that really, really values church membership in such a way that, honestly, it feels a little bit uncomfortable to, not, to attend for a long period of time and not become a member. I want that to be kind of weird like to where you can just hang out for like a year or two and, and, and not be encouraged lovingly and gently say, hey man, if you, you know, we got a new membership class coming up, have you considered joining that? that? There should be some general sort of encouragement along that line. Not awkward pressure, not sort of uh, you know, in your face pressure, but just a gentle, loving sort of nudge. 
You know what I'm saying? Just a nudge toward uh, greater faithfulness in that area of our Christian life. And that would be really good for us to have that culture. And, and I don't think we have that culture like we should. There should be more encouragement because it's not just pastors who go and encourage people, hey, have you considered taking the membership class? It should be members to other folks who are attending say, hey, you know, I've really enjoyed getting to know you for the last year. You've been a part of our gospel community group. Have you considered we have a membership class coming up and we want to encourage you to take that? The person's response might be, you know what, I'm just not interested in being a member at Heritage Baptist Church. The answer would be, that's absolutely fine. There are other churches in the city that would love to have you, but you should join one of them. In other words, don't just stay somewhere and not join so if you're at a place for two years, the question would be, why aren't you joining that church? If you don't like that church, the, the, the question would be, well, maybe you should find another one that you would like enough to join. But the point is, don't just sit somewhere, but sit somewhere and root yourself in and plug in and be a part of that. So in summary, what I want to say is something to those who are not members but need to be. And again, just to be clear, I'm not saying you need to be here. I'm saying you need to be somewhere. And something to, the, to those of you who are members but need to take that membership more seriously. And I want to give you three reasons why church membership is one of the most important commitments of your life. Okay, Because look, some of you here this morning are like, man, I've been a member. This sermon is just not hitting me this morning because I've been a member for 40 years. And, uh, and uh, you know, well, look, why don't you serve some other folks who this is very important sermon for. Pray for them. But for some of you, you might have an overinflated sense of, of yourself. You might be saying, I've been a member for 40 years. Well, let me ask you a further question. How deep is that membership? How meaningful is that membership? So be thinking about yourself here as well. And I want to give you three reasons why church membership is literally one of the most important decisions of your life. In fact, I would argue that if you read Scripture carefully, you're going to see that the church really ends up taking like a central place in your life to the extent to where you should feel really, really, really uncomfortable reading the Bible as a Christian and not, and not having the church being a major part of your life. And the essence of these three reasons why church membership is the most important commitment of your life come from Mark Dever. I haven't found really a better summation of this, and so... Uh, I, I joyfully plunder from his resources here. He has thought so well in the church. First is this. First reason why you should join a church is join it for your assurance. And by assurance, I mean assurance of your salvation. Because here's the thing. Joining a church does not save you. Clearly. I mean, we don't believe that. Joining a church does not save you. But you may want to join the church to help discern if you are saved. What do I mean by that? I mean that when you put yourself in the context of other Christians who are there to see you, your life is accountable to them, it's an open book, you begin to see yourself. Because there's no one here that's strong enough that he does not need the help of others. Everyone here needs the help of others. If, if, if we don't think that we need other Christians to help us walk with Jesus, then we are proud and we are naive. We need constant help. We need Wives help their husbands. Husbands help their wives. Church members help one another walk with Jesus. And when we're out of step with the truth of the gospel or when something is awry, that we would expect someone in love to help us see that. The man in 1 Corinthians 5, you know the man who was who's sleeping with his father's wife? You know that guy? I'm sure that guy, there was a time when he was happy to tell everyone he was a disciple of Jesus. He was a part of the church at Corinth. I'm sure he was happy to go around talking about his salvation and, and, and all that he, that he was doing to trust in Jesus as, his, as, as the Messiah, as the promised Messiah who'd come. I'm sure that was the point. But what was the point of church discipline there? The point of church discipline was to help him understand that he was not living like a Christian, that the man might very well be deceived about the state of his soul. So the church is here to help us see ourselves for who we are. We are linking arms with one another to be helped. We need to be encouraged when we're walking faithfully with Jesus. And here's the thing. We need to be challenged when we're not walking faithfully with Jesus. See, a lot of times people will just avoid church because what, what it means for them is, hey man, if I can just avoid there, then I know that my life's not accountable and nobody's going to see that and then I, don't, I can just stay away and I don't have to worry about anybody getting involved in my business. But if you're a Christian, you should be saying, I want people involved in my business. You know why? Here's why. This is huge. Because you want to see God on the last day. Do you not? Do you not want to finish your race well? Do you not? 
If you want to see God and you want to finish your race well and you want to walk faithfully with Jesus to the last day, then you should be absolutely open to, to saying, here's my life. Help me. Help me walk with Jesus and get there to the end. That's our desire. That's what a humble Christian says. So the church is here to help us see ourselves for who we are. And for those of you who are not yet Christians, please understand, I am certainly not encouraging you to join the church. Um, because you have to first become a Christian to join the church. I mean, you're welcome to be here. We want you here. We love you here. We want you to be a part of some of the things that we do. But for you, what you simply need to do is, is go to Jesus. Go to Jesus. Seek him. Repent of your sins. Trust in him. Put your whole hope in him. And if you do that, you'll be given a new life in Christ Jesus. You'll be forgiven of all of your sin. You'll be saved. You'll be redeemed. But you know what? And then you can consider church membership. But that's what you need to do is just run to Jesus. All right? So the first reason to join a church is for the assurance of our salvation. We need other people to help us. Secondly, join a church for the world. Join a church for the world. Together, here's the thing, we can better spread the gospel together than we can individually in our own city and across the world. We can pool our resources together. We do a dollar for missions. We, we grab our, we have a mash fund. We, we uh, Mission Action Society, Paradise. We, we throw things in. We, we work. We, we, we pull our resources together to make a difference. We can go out in teams. We can serve the needy in our city. We, we can live as a local church. And in fact, in one sense, the local church is a missionary organization. We have sent out missionaries from this church we have some that are watching us right now on, on our live stream. We, we have missionaries sent from here. We're a missionary organization, which means if we are not doing that, that is making disciples, we're failing at one of our fundamental responsibilities as a local church. You know that a church can be orthodox. A church can have pristine theology. A church can have sound preaching. But if it is not making disciples, it is a disobedient church. To be a light in our world is a very, very special privilege that we have as a church. Have you ever thought about this? You will not be able to evangelize anyone in heaven. That's it. That's reserved for now. You won't get to see any surprise conversions in heaven. You won't get to see your best friend come to know Jesus and be baptized in front of the church in heaven. That's your privilege now. Don't you want to be a part of that? Don't you want to participate in that? So we join the church for the sake of the world. We come together and we live on mission as a church. And then thirdly, join the church for other Christians. So we join the church for ourselves, for our own assurance. We join it for the world and we join it for other Christians. We're all prone to a selfish individualism, which is kind of me and my family and what we're up to in the holidays and, and what we're going to be doing with our 2016 and our plan and, and what we're doing and my job and my thing and my vacation and, what, and all this stuff. But joining a church helps you understand the corporate nature of Christianity. That, you know, your life isn't meant to be lived on its own. That you're not meant to be a lone ranger Christian. That there's a corporate nature to your Christianity. When you join a church, you're committing to love and serve other people. You're giving yourself to that. So here's the question is, who are you helping in these days? Who are you serving Right now, what is your plan for 2016? Our Christian life is not about how many quiet times we've had, how many scriptures we've memorized, how many people we're evangelizing. It's not about all that stuff. I mean, that's good, but here's the thing, is that God wants you to be concerned with something much bigger than yourself, that you're part of his church, which is this large group of people that have been saved and brought out of the world and redeemed and, and are making a difference for his name and his glory in this world. And so, so we get outside of our little narcissistic thing and we get into something much bigger, this great program that God is on the agenda of building his kingdom and we're a part of something big. And I, know, I don't know about you, but I often get stale. My, my life gets stale and I think, man, I'm, just, I'm becoming so ingrown and so narcissistic and so about myself and I feel just so miserable. But when I step out of that, and I start pouring myself into something bigger, something that God is doing, then, again, that restores purpose and value to my life because I realize you know, I'm, I'm here for something more than just me. So we join the church for other people, for other Christians. We've talked about what church membership is, and we've talked about why it matters. So as we close, 
what I want to do is I want to talk to you about what does it mean then here? Because it's great that we're just talking about this conceptually. But what, is, what does church membership really look like here? Let me close by mentioning five things and then a takeaway for each thing. So New Year's resolutions, I'm not a huge fan of them. I think it's generally good to be a resolved person. But most people sort of set out on those New Year's resolutions and they flop on them and they fail. And then if they're very introspective, what happens is they just feel really sort of cruddy about themselves. So I'm not a huge fan of it, but I do think that there are some some general goals that we should be establishing for ourselves on a consistent basis. So here, here are, here's a takeaway for five things that each of you can consider, all right? And some of these will hit you because that's just where you're at in your phase of life. Others, you'll just let those pass, and another one will hit you, okay? Here's what church membership really kind of fundamentally means for us as a church. Number one, baptism. For a person to be a member of a church, the obvious prerequisite is conversion and baptism, right? So, we, we don't admit people to the church that don't love Jesus. So that was just kind of a basic thing. But when somebody gives their life to Christ, they repent of their sins, they put their trust in Jesus, what's the first thing they do as an act of obedience? They're baptized. So baptism is a confession that you have indeed repented of your sin and that you're trusting in Christ alone. Baptism is an act of obedience. And for those of us in the West where we have the freedom to practice religion, this is perhaps, this is probably the easiest thing God will ever ask you to do, is to be baptized. I mean, just think about this. It's so interesting to me that so many people resist this. They're a Christian, but yet they want to resist baptism. Look, all you have to do is come up and lay down for a second. That's it. That's baptism. Come up, lay down for a second, we'll put you under the water, and you're baptized. I mean, that's the easiest thing Jesus could ever ask you to do as a Christian. If you can't do that, I, I worry for you going forward, honestly. So some of you, here's a conviction to take away. Here's a takeaway for you. If this hits you, some of you here, I'm going to speak. Here it is, conviction. I will speak to a pastor this week about finally obeying Jesus in this area of my Christian life. I'm not, I'm not going to keep disobeying. I'm going to be baptized if I'm trusting in Jesus. Number two, attendance. Being a member of the church means being faithful to attend the meetings of the church. Attendance would be our most basic responsibilities at church and you know what? It's not a responsibility to us as pastors. It's a responsibility you have for each other. You know how discouraging it is to each other when you're not there? It's not, it's not, it's not really that discouraging to pastors. We're used to it. It's very discouraging to fellow Christians who are really, really trying hard to be faithful, and you're not there. And they wonder why. That's discouraging. Hebrews 10.25 says, Let us not neglect to meet together, as is the habit of some, but let us encourage one another all the more as you see the day approaching. Let us not neglect to meet together. Let us not forsake the assembling of ourselves together is another translation. The New Testament uses images when it talks about the church, and one of the images it uses is a building, and that we are bricks in that building. But here's the thing. If the bricks are not there, then the building is unstable. Sheep are in a flock, branches are on a vine, and Christians are with the church. The Lord's Supper is one of the most important times where we want to encourage our members to be here. And, and it might help for you to think of the Lord's Supper as kind of our family photograph. That's the time when we come together and we take a family photo each month. Those who gather around the Lord's table. And what we're saying to one another is that we're continuing to walk with Jesus. One of the things I'm most encouraged about when I'm around the Lord's Supper is those are people who are saying, you know what, we still love Jesus and we're continuing to walk with him. If you're not there perpetually... We're not saying you're not a Christian, certainly, but what we're saying is it's kind of weird. It's just kind of weird. You're not the family photo. We, we think, we hope you're walking with Jesus, but what, what are you doing? What, I mean, seriously. So it's, it's confusing. It's confusing to, to Christians. Now, of course, there are legitimate reasons for missing church. Of course there are. Sickness, travel, military, college, all kinds of things. I'm not talking about the person who misses the off Sundays, I'm talking about habitual non-attendance at meetings. Just, you know, it's just become a pattern of your life. Membership, if it's meaningful, will show itself in regular attendance or it's worthless. Actually, I, I would go stronger than that. I would say it's dangerous because you see uninvolved members confuse both the church and they confuse non-Christians about what it means to walk faithfully to Jesus. You say you love Jesus. Here's the thing. This has always gripped me. 
You say you love Jesus, and yet you don't care to be with his bride. I don't understand that. I, I don't. Can you imagine saying to Jesus, I like you, Jesus, but I don't like your wife? Would that make Jesus proud? Or would that, or that, or would that frustrate and, and really, in some senses, anger Jesus? I, you know, I don't recommend saying that to Jesus, but that's what people do when they say they love Jesus, but they don't want to be with his church. Jesus is with his church. Does the church have all kinds of warts and sins and problems? You betcha. Is it painful to be here and be a part of a bunch of Christians that, that are still living in sin and, and get angry at each other and get upset at each other? You betcha that's hard. Are there, are there fractured relationships and difficult, awkward social experiences in the church? Oh, man, are you kidding me? There's tons of them. You know why? Because we all love Jesus, and this is the weirdest group of people. Because here's the thing. Most of us probably would not be friends if it wasn't for Jesus. And so when you fill up a room full of people that would not normally be friends if it wasn't for Jesus, and you get sin thrown in the mix of that, you get a lot of really awkward social dynamics. The church is really, 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 really awkward and really sloppy. But here's the thing. Jesus died for it, spilled his blood, and he is not going to give up on his church. But what do we say? Oh, I just can't deal with that, man. How weak are we? Jesus is dealing with it. He's dealing with it all the time. It's offensive to Jesus to say, I like you, but I don't really like your wife. That's offensive to Jesus. Conviction. Here's the conviction takeaway for you. We will be at church every single Sunday, barring an emergency. Do you hear that language here? Here's the thing. It's a family policy. You want your kids to grow up. That's just who we are. That's how we roll as a family. We go to church. All right? We set that example. For, you want to set that example for your kids. So don't go to the lake house every other Sunday. Don't go, you can go hunting. You can go fishing later. Don't tell me that hunting excursion is more important than Jesus in his church. Don't use excuses. Please don't make excuses. Have a conviction with your family. Say to your, say to your family, look, guys, we're not going to the lake house this week. Because we've been going and going and going, and here's the thing, and I know that we haven't had an opportunity to go for six or seven months or whatever, but, but church is more important. We're going to bring our kids to the church every Sunday, and we're going to set a precedent. We want to raise our kids with a mentality, you know, we don't miss meeting with God's people. We don't miss that time. So that's a conviction for some of you. Number three, joining the church means, for us, it means joining a ministry team. Because Ephesians 4 tells us, that pastors are to equip the saints for the work of ministry. And so the expectation is that all of us as pastors and members are serving in the church in some capacity. So there's no example of a person, of a, of a church member, who just sort of gets to sit and not do anything. That This is a team thing. Everybody's involved. Everybody's on the field. Everybody has a role. Everybody's in the game. Nobody's sitting on the bench. Healthy churches are made up of providers, not just consumers, after all, if consumers fill our seats, who turns the lights on? Who's going to staff the children's ministry? Who's going to run sound? Who's going to welcome people at the door? Who's going to take care of security? Who's going to do those things? So here's a conviction. Conviction, 2016, resolution, resolve, whatever you want to say. I will find a way I can serve the church with my gifts for the glory of God. I will not let January go by without adding my name to one of our ministry teams, nursery, AV, security, setup, worship team, facilities and grounds, children's ministry, or office and administrative help. I will find something that I can do and give my time to it. And you know what? For some of you who can't get out much, maybe that's praying at home. And you say, I want you to send me a weekly email of all the things you want me to labor for on my knees. It can be something like that. Number four, being a member here, the fourth thing is giving. Scripture is full of instructions about giving. Solomon taught that we should honor the Lord with our wealth and with the first fruits of our crops. Jesus taught his disciples, give and it will be given to you. Paul has a really interesting phrase in 1 Corinthians 16. Here's what he says. Paul says, 1 Corinthians 16, do what I told the Galatian churches to do. On the first day of every week, each of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with his income, saving it up so that when I come collections uh, will not have to be made. What's Paul saying there? He's saying, he's saying, this is part of your responsibility. You come and you serve and you give so that we can do ministry. Conviction. I will sit down with my spouse before God and I will consider if I'm honoring the Lord and his church with my finances. And where I am not, 
I will make any corrections at the start of this year. I'm not going to let a year rip by without being faithful to that responsibility. Number five, the last thing for us membership means is participation in gospel community groups. You say, man, really, you're going to put that on that list of five? Absolutely. You know why? Because it's way, way, way too easy to hide. Way too easy. And we're trying to encourage you not to do that. We're to love one another. The basic Christian call for us in discipleship is to love one another. By this, all men will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. We believe that love is best seen in the church when we gather in smaller groups and practice the one another's of the New Testament. So how do you love your brother and sister? Practically. You spend time with them. You care for them. You pray for them. You minister to them. And you know what? You can't do any of these things without being close to them. I can't really effectively minister to somebody on email. I can't really effectively minister to somebody with just a simple phone call. But when I get face-to-face with them and say, I want to talk with you, or I go visit somebody and I spend time with them, or even better, when I decide intentionally to get with a certain amount of people every single week and have a meal with them and walk with Jesus together... That's a totally, that, that's a game changer. That's a game changer spiritually for people. So here's a conviction. This year, we will find a group that we can get involved with on a weekly basis. And we will commit to that group. And we will gather when they gather. We will serve when they serve. We will do mission when they do mission. And we will make this group an active part of our Christian walk. So those are kind of the basic things. All right? Now, I realize this is an incredibly unpopular message. But you know what? I think it's probably a very faithful message to you. And there might be some of you who say, you know, I'm just kind of bothered by this message. I don't really like it because it's just, it's just kind of it's cramping my style. You know, it just, I feel like you're just saying stuff that you don't need to say. You're going extra or whatever. Some of you might just be not. But I just want to tell you, look, I, I don't think you're going to hear that message on a consistent basis uh, in the evangelical church in America. And to the degree that you're not going to hear that message, you're not being well served as a Christian. Because here's the thing, we need to make it to heaven. And, we're, and, the, and the way we do that is by joining ourselves together, covenanting together to love one another and serve one another so that we can faithfully walk with Jesus until the last day. We need to heighten our view of membership. So if you're a Christian and you're not a member, the clear decision for you today is this, join the church. For some of you, the simple takeaway is find a church. It doesn't have to be here, but find a church and join it and throw yourself into it. And finally, if you are a member, but you, you're sort of aloof and distant from, your, from the church, and you know, you're just not meaningfully connected, the, the clear decision for you today is this, is pour yourself into the church. I'm talking about total commitment. Don't play. Don't approach church like a spectator at a ball game where you sit back in the stands and you watch them run plays. That's a miserable thing to do when you want to play. Don't you have the Holy Spirit in you? Don't you know that you're also gifted? So you don't want to just sit and watch other people run plays. You have gifts. You want to get on the field. So here's the thing. We want to help you get on the field this year. You've been a spectator too long. Let's run plays together. Trust me. When you run, there, Some of you are, are we're in the middle of college football bowl season. And so what makes a real difference to a football team is a really good quarterback and, and a really good offensive and defensive line. That's it's pretty much everything. And, and some of you are really gifted quarterbacks, but you're just not playing. And so we're losing the game because you're not in. Some of you can really do some of that grunt work on the offensive and defensive lines, but you're not in the game. And we got injured players, and they're down on the field. And we're saying, man, we're going to lose the game, but you need to step up and get involved and help us. And I look at some of you, and I think, whoa, the gifts are just on fire fire some of these guys but but you're just you're just kind of distant and aloof and I don't really know why maybe life is just kind of caught maybe you just become lazy maybe life is caught up with you maybe for whatever reason look without judging you we love you to death don't worry about it because here's the thing we love you the same but here's the thing let's just correct that let's get in the game this year and let's throw ourselves completely in so as we close in prayer let me go ahead and invite our worship team to come up and, uh, and we're going to respond. So if the way, the way we do this is we want to respond to God's word in singing. And that's what we're going to do. We're going to sing right now. And as we sing, we're also going to pass the offering. If you're a guest with us today, we want you to just let that go by. That's not for you. Um, we, 
I mean, even if you wanted to give, we'd probably encourage you not to. We, we really want you to just receive this service as a gift to you. And for those of you who are members, um, you can do with that as the Lord directs you. But for the rest of us, let's respond now to the Lord in singing and prayer. And let me, let me close in, in prayer. Father, thank you, for, thank you for your kindness to us. Thank you for your word. And we pray that you would help all of us to have an increased fidelity in our walk with you and that we would have a heightened view of the church and that we would love it the way you love it and that we would care for it the way you care for it and that we would pour our heart and soul and life and all into your church for the sake of your name and for the good of other Christians and for the good of the world and yes, even for the good of our own soul. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.